What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov careers. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we've got a special show here, what we got going on. We've got the Profetico along with uh, the Portico of Solomon. Um, my brothers, Thames, my brother, John, AOD, and my brother, Matthew, and of course, myself, Jose. Um, we're here to discuss um, just some things that, that Tim's has been mulling over since, uh, since you know, the last show that we've done, a few shows back, some of the things that keep recurring, some of the things that were mentioned, and, um, you know, they just start to happen. No, you know, nothing, nothing planned on, on our part, nothing laid out. No conspiracy theories going on here, just simply stating the facts of what's going on in the news, simply covering them, simply, you know, noticing the different oddities, and, and, and of course, as we know, the Lord covers us all in His Word, and He's got it all over the place, and if only we have faith to look into it. So, uh, without a doubt, without a, a further ado, uh, let me introduce my brothers, John, you want to say hello? AOD? Sure. Hello, everyone. Welcome. Cool. Matthew, we got you here? Yes, we do. Thank you uh, for having me on, Jose. And uh, hey, everybody, it's it's good to uh, crash this party again. Cool. And, and last but not least, Tams. How are you doing? Hey, everybody. It's good to be with everyone. Cool. So, Tams, you kind of call this a... Uh, this party here, so let's uh, let's let's go into a little bit about what you want to cover, um, what what you've been noticing, and of course, you know, eventually where that took you in the words. So, uh, go ahead, Tams. Well, do, do you want me to, to uh, talk at all about the email I sent sent you guys, or do you want to just talk about the uh, Genesis twenty eight? No, we we well, definitely need to talk about uh, the email, Tams, because uh, and and let me just. Let me just give everybody a heads up, the, the, the entire preface for this. One year ago, on uh, June the 21st, 2015, uh, Jose did a show uh, with us on the Portico of Solomon uh, called The Global Financial System in Bible Prophecy. And Tim sent us all an email concerning that broadcast, which... Uh, it kind of took me by surprise, because I have a whole lot on my plate, and, and I don't know about Jose and AOD, but that's been a long time ago, and oh my goodness, I've done an awful lot of things since then. So, just me personally, uh, that email sent shockwaves uh, through the grim reality of, of exactly what's going on, but uh, Tim, I, I think you should cover the email that you sent all of us, and, and what led from there. Okay, uh, well, um, last week, about three days ago, interestingly enough, uh, I sent an email to you guys uh, giving you an update on the show that we did on the 21st, as Matthew just said. Um, and I'm, it's, and, and this is going to sound not interesting to any of you, uh, but it probably will to the listener. 
But I woke up that Sunday morning and I just had a uh, prick in my spirit that told me that I needed to get on the radio. And I had reached out and uh, there was really no organization. I think I started that uh, show on my own. I had never ran the switchboard before, which is which is quite difficult. And I want to say about the first 30 minutes was just, just show just how incompetent I, I am at trying to do that. Um, but what came out of that show, and I believe we ended up doing about three shows on this particular topic. I think, Matthew, you did a couple more above and beyond that. But at that time, we were talking about the global financial system. We were talking about uh, the parallel between Joseph and his brothers and how that matches up Bible prophecy. And um, we said some interesting things on that show. Um, one of the things that sticks out in my mind is Matthew was very specific talking about the stock market. He said, you cannot buy a tweet. Tweets don't have any value. And back in June of 2015, Twitter was trading at about $35 a share. And when I checked three days ago, um, it was at about just under $16 a share. Now, it's improved a little bit. It's a little north of $16 a share, but essentially it's lost more than half its value. Um, since we did that broadcast. Um, at that time, there was a big crisis going on in Greece. Um, there was lots of concerns about the selling off of the assets of that country to pay off international creditors uh, who held bonds. And there was a lot of uh, concern that the people there in Greece had about what they could do to protect their assets. And I mentioned Bitcoin as a hedge against uh, or, or as a, a, a medium of exchange and a way to store value. And at that time, uh, Bitcoin uh, was trading, um, June the 21st, Bitcoin was trading at about 244 U.S. dollars per Bitcoin. And as of uh, this morning, uh, Bitcoin is trading at $761 uh, Per Bitcoin, so it's it's tripled in value. Um, now, what I find interesting about that is uh, Matthew just said that he doesn't care about economics all that much. It's not all that important to him. He's got more important things to do. Uh, I know that uh, I believe that's true for John and Jose. Um, but even if you talk about financial experts, they're usually good at one or the other, meaning they're good at telling you when markets are going to go up or when markets are going to go down. But in that episode, uh, we not only targeted what was going to go up, but we also targeted what was going to go down, um, which is pretty pretty incredible. Any any thoughts on that so far? Am I am I summarizing it okay? What we what we did. You're you're summarizing it perfectly, as far as I'm concerned, Thames. Um, and let me let me add to that. Let let me give everybody a window into my soul. I guess at the end of the day, what we're really talking about biblically is if and when the Lord our God will forsake us. Now, whether we like it or not. Uh, the Lord didn't stutter uh, when he spoke there uh, in Genesis chapter 28. He was not lying. 
And that truth carried all the way to the cross. But this is exactly what he said. He said that in that window of opportunity, what the Lord really said that day was this. He said, I will not forsake you until. That's what he said. And whether you like it or not, his son would reverberate all of creation when he would say the exact same thing. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? So, the bride today needs to come to grips with a few things. Uh, she needs to understand what's going on in the world around her. Uh, she needs to, to realize uh, that these things are very real. We're not talking about erythreal things. We're, we're talking about things that are real. And uh, this can go so many places. Uh, it can be a shaker of our faiths. It, it really can be. But in Genesis 28:15, this is what the Lord your God has said, and this is what he is saying, and this is what he will say. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until. That word right there, ladies and gentlemen, of course, some other translations say forsake, because that is a proper rendering of that Hebrew word. But he says, I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised to you. And I think that's what's got a lot of people confused, ladies and gentlemen. Because you don't even know what he said he's going to do to you. But he did say it, and he did promise it. And you can bet your bottom dollar he's not changed his mind at all. So, with that in mind, are we going to be forsaken economically? Well, from, from my perspective, gentlemen... I mean, I've been expecting this for quite some time, um, and I've really tried to prepare myself for it uh, spiritually. And, of course, the best way to do that is by reading his word, reading what he says. But then the challenge becomes communicating that to others around you, other individuals who may or may not be Christians, but really trying to express express to them not to put their faith in these financial systems. Um, they're going to crash eventually. Uh, you know, as far as to when the timing is, it's going to happen, and it's going to rock their world. And like you said, Matthew, their faith is going to be shaken. That's really the biggest moment of testing, isn't it? When, when you feel, when you ask that question, if your Lord has forsaken you, when you feel that you're all alone, and, and you're, you're kind of sitting there left holding the bag and you need to make that decision whether you're going to have faith in him or whether you're going to strike out on your own and try to find other means, uh, other, other vehicles to have to put your faith into as opposed to him. So that's, and, and it's, been, it's been a struggle, gentlemen. It's been a real struggle communicating that because you know, you start to talk to people about these things and, and what they tell you is, well, the markets always come up. They go down, they come up. The dollar will never fail. Um, it's, uh, it's 
tied to the petrodollar. We're going to keep it going. They're not, they're not going to um, crash this ride. And that's really the general feeling of those, um, at least where I'm at today. That's, that's the general feeling I get. They're planning their retirement. They're planning, you know, what items they're going to buy. And, and that's, that's really where they're putting all their energy into. And, and really, what, what we discussed in that show a year ago was, was pretty common sense. It was not anything earth-shattering. It was no insider information. It was simply common sense things that we discussed. Matthew saying that there's no value in a tweet. You know, I think, Tim, you brought up the fact that Bitcoin is used by the black market. It's used by um, all the millennials. That's what they use. They're trying to stay away from the traditional markets. They're trying to do stuff without drawing too much attention. So these these common sense factors, um, you know, people just aren't seeing them. And, and it's really quite disturbing to me. Well, the way I look at this, seeing this coming, Jose, is that everybody knows there is five stages of grief. Everybody, every psychologist knows this. Not American psychologists, not Russian psychologists, everybody. They all know that when Matthew 24 kicks into gear, and it's going to, you're going to first have denial, and then you're going to have anger. And then, of course, the bargaining will set in. Then everybody will be depressed a while before they accept it. Oh, but ladies and gentlemen, what you're going to wind up accepting will be your undoing. God don't lie. You can make up, you can invent any sort of fantasy you want to. But the sun comes up, and by God, the sun goes down exactly when he says it's going to. He sets not only the sun's course, he set his own sun's course, and he sets ours as well. And this is what's got me worried, Jose, and you and I have talked about this publicly many times. I am afraid of this. I am terribly afraid that these people that are living in a purely fantasy world, when this time comes, just like Christ said it was going to come, their faith is going to snap like a twig. That's what's got me concerned. Not how much a tweet is worth, and not how much some cryptocurrency has in volume I I am truly not concerned about those things I'm concerned about the people who are because this last phase will kick in this acceptance and every psychologist knows that when that happens your mind cannot be altered and if you've accepted something that's going to cost you your life then your life you shall give. Psychologically, this is just a matter of fact. So, with those things in mind, I, I think I've stated well enough. I, I would like to say one thing, and I'm a little hesitant too, and I'm not going to talk about it now. But I will give you some inside information that nobody else can give you. It's kind of popular. It's kind of entertainment e, but everybody knows that when it came to mathematics 
Sir Isaac Newton was second to none. And he looked at 2016 for one reason. He knew that by the year things had been inverted. And he calculated off the 1,260 day sequence to when the day sequence would start. And before Thames ever goes into Genesis, the 28th chapter, I want you to all realize something very, very, very important to you personally. That 1,260 is in verse 6, it's in verse 12, and it's in verse 14. And Sir Isaac Newton, he knew what that meant. Now, I don't know where else you could get this information except from me, as far as the Christian community is concerned. Mathematically, this equation being in this chapter three times, Sir Isaac Newton, basing his calculations off when the bride officially was granted her land, you see, ladies and gentlemen, it was 1,260 years ago that the bride officially was granted the land so that she could exist, what you know to be the Vatican today. But back then, there was only the Orthodox Church. There was no Protestant. There was either Christian or not. You're either one or the other. Sir Isaac Newton, of course, knew this. He held no beefs with the Catholic Church. And he was certainly no crusader. But he knew based off that calculation of years to the end, he reckoned in his mind, that's when the day count should start. It would be an inversion. Consider these things. Thames? Well, amen. I, and uh, I'm going to repeat some things that both of you have already said, which is that, you know... It, it really makes no difference if you're talking about Christians or if you're talking about atheists or I don't care what people label themselves, but people really do not put their faith in God. It's in things, whether it be real estate for some, whether it be gold for others, whether it be financial markets or their job, um, their relationship with their spouse or with their children or with their best friend. It doesn't matter what it is. People's faith is in all of these other things. And even uh, Christian people don't believe or understand or, or have never even considered for the most part that literally God does come out and tell you multiple times in the scripture that at some point in time, he is going to leave you. He literally comes out and says that. And that's why this time is going to be so stressful as Matthew mentioned just a moment ago. Because Christian people aren't expecting that. In many cases, they're expecting to be um, transformed in the blinking of the eyes someplace else. In uh, other cases, they think other things. In some cases, they think it's already happened. But the bottom line is, is that there is going to be a moment in time when he is going to leave you. Well, And you're not expecting that. No, you're not, but... I don't understand why why people don't realize what our own shepherd said to us. Uh, you know, Matthew chapter 18. What do you think? If any man has a hundred sheep and one of them has gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountains and go and search for the one that is straying? If it turns out that he finds it. Truly I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99, which have not gone astray. 
so that it is not the will of your Father who is in heaven that one of these little ones perish. What? I'm confused, Thames. What do you think he meant? I don't think he was joking. And I think he made it perfectly clear. Well, one thing's for sure. He said this. Do good deeds while you can, because night is coming when no good deed can be done. Right. And if you are a Christian person who reads the Bible, when you when you read those things that sound odd, wait a second, God just told me there's going to be a time when I can't do something which is good? I remember the first time I I, I read about the, the the harlot and how she and the woman was actually worse than a harlot because she didn't even get paid for what she did. And I read that six, seven times and I mean, that made me angry because it was like, wait a second. He's got a bigger problem with her for not getting paid because there was no exchange? That just, I mean, when you read those things in the Bible, um, it should shake you up inside. But he literally told you that. And if you are under the mistaken impression that parables are stories, you're lying to yourself. A parable is nothing different than what happened when the prophet went to see David and told him about the lamb. And David judged it, that situation, and then he was told he was talking about him and what he had done. Every single one of those parables you can find in the Bible. You can find the example, and you can also find them in people's lives. They're not parables. I don't even like that word. They are real. They're biographies. Amen. Amen. They're they're really like uh like templates, Tim's templates of what what we expect what, what we should expect to see. And and when you're in a given situation, you lay that template over it, and you can see very very clearly what what God's trying to say. Um, let's see if we can get John in here in this conversation. Um, John, you've got have you got anything to add with what we've covered so far? Maybe what you see in your area um, with the Christians in your area, where their concerns are, um, if they're putting their faith more in these in these other systems than in the Lord. Sure, um, this is very sobering. <laughs> I see this all around me, of course, as you all do yourselves. I mean, there's a small remnant. The rest of them have their heads in the sand, and you can only pray for the women and children. <laughs> they're flat, not being winter on the Sabbath. Amen, amen. Yeah, that's that's really the situation that that I see around here. Mm-hmm. Well, so once ter- again, once again, why would Christ say that, Jose? I, I mean, that's the most ignored verse in the Bible, I think. I mean, right. you hear all these eschatology experts; they just run around, man. They, oh my goodness, they quote Matthew twenty-four more than. I think their own names. Right. And yet he said, woe be to pregnant women and nursing mothers literally in your face saying that I am going to forsake even them if not in clear reference to, look, ladies and gentlemen, you know, the sheep stay in the sheep pen, right? Until, uh-huh. one, of them, until one of them gets out. And then whether you like it or not, and, and you don't have to. I mean, you don't have to. It's, it's all right if you don't like what I'm going to say. But this is the truth. 
the king of all that has ever been made, said this. I will leave you and go find that lost one. You're just going to have to stay in the pen and fend for yourself. Now stay in the pen, but I will leave you to go fetch that one. And I, I don't see why people can't come to grips with that. I well, I can only speak for myself, Matthew. Uh, I mean, I know what you, I know what you you've said about that, and I know that I've seen it in other places, but I had never seen this uh, in Genesis twenty-eight until until last week. And I was reading it, and it like it, it came out of left field. It was it was it was something I, uh, I mean, it it just came out of left field. Um, and I, I read that, and I read it again, and I read it again, and then it was like, wow, okay, Harry is he saying it again? It's amazing how many times he repeats it. I mean, Tams, most things he repeats till he's blue in the face. Amen. I mean, look up the phrase we were just talking about, you know, I will never leave you or forsake you. Does anybody realize how many times that phrase is in the Bible? And I'm sorry, but... I may not know very much about, you know, planting the lilies of the valley. But this I do know. God said, I will not leave you or forsake you until. And that means he was going to do something to us. Physically. <laughs> so, Amen. You know, Tim's, you, we, we talked about this a whole lot privately about this economic situation and and it is bad. There's no reason for us to presume to lie that it's not. I mean, it's bad. I mean, we just had, just a few days ago, Swiss government bonds have dropped to negative rates. I mean, everybody knows that all the rich people in the world stash their money in Swiss banks, Thames. Everybody knows that, right? Yeah. So, what does that mean? When the country that's supposed to be the most secure on the planet as far as finances goes, their government bonds go negative. What what does that mean? Well, it's a, it's a very uh, serious situation. I mean, if, if you just look at the interest rate situation, if the Fed was to raise rates tomorrow, uh, I've heard reports that it would... Um, it could it could have a blowback or a rippleback effect on investors who are long term into the bonds. It could be as much as a trillion dollars, um, and that trillion dollars is a lot more important to the government than you and I are. And you say, well, why would it cost them money? Because those bonds become not worth very much. They become worth not very much at all. They they become worth you know eighty five. Uh, 82 cents on the dollar because if they're, if you have a bond that's paying 1% or half a percent or negative 1% and then two years from now you've got other bonds which are 10 years that are paying 3 or 4%, who's going to buy that negative interest rate bond from you? The only way they'd be willing to do it is if you can, uh, if you can manipulate the price so they actually get a profit out of it. And so the government is the governments are stuck at this point. Well, because if they Well, let me ask you a stupid question. Um the inflation rate's 2%, right? 
depending on what you're what you're measuring. Yeah. Well, I, I think that's what the government calculates. That is like two percent, right? Yeah. Hey, do, so you're supposed to compound that yearly. Yeah. So let me get this straight. If I go buy a Swiss government bond right now, and it's a ten-year bond, you 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 realize I would go farther and farther and farther into hole because the two percent on the fifth year would of course be a geometric increase from the two percent of the first year and by the tenth year Thames I would be a fool to do that right so and it doesn't help any that the government's actually lying let's let's just let's just talk about this I'm gonna bring up one statistic ladies and gentlemen the government says that you know all these jobs have been created no they've been part-time jobs and I'm gonna prove it with their own numbers the U.S. working age population between 16 and 65 is 205 million. Okay, what that means is, is that on a standard work year of 2,000 hours, you know, doing 40 hours per week, you know, for 52 weeks, we should have labor force amounts of 410 billion hours. However, according to the government's own standard, we've only did 230 billion labor hours. Ladies and gentlemen, you have to know how to understand what the equation is I just give you because that means the unemployment rate's actually 44%. I don't need nobody to tell me what the unemployment rate is. I don't need nobody to do that. You need to give me the equation. I need the integers, and I can plug that into my own equation. This is what the government says. Between 16 and 65 people that can work is 205 million people in this country. If they've all got full-time jobs, just like the government says, don't you realize that the standard for that is 2,000 hours? When you multiply that out, ladies and gentlemen, you're, you're missing 56% of 410 billion hours somewhere. Because, ladies and gentlemen, there's people out there that's working three part-time jobs, and the government will count them as three full-time jobs and give you that number knowing that you'll never check their data off the total work hours. I don't care if I have a job or not. If my job says that I'm only on call and I'm only called into work for two hours a week, guess what? That doesn't equal 2,000 hours that I'm going to work per year. That's right. You just got George Jetson, but, but you didn't get the spaceship. Remember that TV show? They talk about all these twenty-hour-a-week yep. uh, jobs are is killing me. That's right. That's right. And that's not to mention the housing market. Right. I mean, Tim, let's let's make a private conversation very public, because I'm not afraid. Ladies and gentlemen, it got to the point where I needed to relocate. So, Thames wanted to look up to see how many foreclosures was around my house. He has the ability to do that and the authorization to do that. He did nothing illegally. I couldn't believe him, so he sent me the code to his account, and I went in there, and within 10 miles of my house, there had been 240 foreclosures. And I was like, well, Thames, I, I went walking around the neighborhood and the neighborhood across the street because there was a big subdivision 
huge subdivision across the street from me, and then I lived in the subdivision with over 100 houses. I said, Tim, all, all those addresses, there's no for sale signs up. And then I walked up and looked in the window, checked it out, and sure enough, they were all empty. They just weren't on the housing market. So it's very easy to pull the wool over a sheep's eyes because it smells right. It's full of lanolin. It's waterproof by nature. So the sheep won't fight it. Will they, Thames? Well, amen. If we look at the uh, labor force participation rate, which is what people really should be looking at, that number is uh, the lowest it's been since 2006 right now, uh, or nearly the lowest. I think 2010, 2011, it got uh, close to being this low, but it's it's about the lowest it's been. Um, it's the lowest it's been in, in 10 years. And if you look at all of the growth in jobs that have occurred since the big decline in 2007 and 2008, all of that can be summed up in temporary and contract work. And by the way, those jobs, not only do they not have the same benefits that the jobs had that people had prior, but those jobs don't pay as much either. Uh, I saw a report the other day that said that it wouldn't be until 2020 at the earliest that people would get back, start getting back to the type of wages that they had seen previously. And frankly, looking at the trend line of wages per hour's worked, uh, it's not even, I, I think that that's wishful thinking to think that that would even happen. With that in mind... Unless Jose or John has something to say, I think we need to move on to Genesis 28 and see what the Lord our God has to say about it, I guess. Yeah, let, let me just add what, one last thing on this, this whole economic forefront. Um, it's really been disturbing me, this whole uh, Brexit deal going on with the European Union. Um, for all intents and purposes, I mean, we know it has global ramifications, but it's, it's an internal matter between the EU and its members. And for them to resolve, you know, as they see fit. And then to have our uh, our outgoing president essentially strong-arming, trying to strong-arm Britain, and then seeing a lot of the um, rhetoric that's going on from Germany and some of the other, and France specifically, against Britain, that the actual threats that, that if Britain leaves the European Union, there's going to be large ramifications to them, they're going to sanction them, they're going to block a lot of their deals and essentially try to try to isolate them if, if they do this. Um, it just kind of tells you how, how big the stakes are when you see these big players that are actually coming out and saying these things against who, who an ally, you know. Um, Britain is an ally to, to the U.S. And, and to those European nations, and they're, it's actually their people. The, the, the people inside that nation are, are coming up and saying, we want out for their whatever their reasons are. But these these nations are actually, you know, for all, for all intents and purposes, threatening the livelihood of that nation if they do this. So that's just been real disturbing to me, some of the comments I've been seeing um, in the news lately in regards to that. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to add, say something else here. You know, uh, when we did these series of shows last year, uh, Matthew specifically mentioned Apple, and 
he was critical of Apple. At that time, I believe Apple was close to $130 a share. Today, Apple is at $95 a share. And I bring that up to say one thing. Um, and I, I don't know if the listeners can really appreciate this. But when we do these shows, thousands of people listen. And it's not easy to go on the air and say things that are not popular. And I don't mean that because of trying to be politically correct or anything like that. What I mean is is that when you go out there and you say the things that we have said publicly, um, that's not an easy thing to do. You, you, we, we're not just shooting from the hip when we make these statements. Um, and the same way that Matthew made that comment about Apple or, or he's made the comment about your, your, your Lord, your Savior uh, leaving you at some point after he's fulfilled his promise. Um, those are not easy things to say. We, we're not just shooting from the hip like somebody who's running for office right now. We, we actually are very careful about the things that we say. And if you, I don't know if you, how public many of you are, but, but it's not easy to come out and say these things. So we're, we're not just saying these things loosely. And, and more often than not, we're correct. And let's let's just take take this into consideration. On April 27th, ladies and gentlemen, this was the headline: Apple lost more in value today than these seven companies are worth totally. Those seven companies are Anthem, Halliburton, Kinder Morgan, Kroger, Netflix, Tesla Motors, and Yahoo. That's what they lost in one day. The Apple Corporation lost in one day more than those seven companies are worth totally. So I don't know if I regret having mentioned Apple last year or not. But that is the facts of the matter of what we talked about last year, Tams. Well, amen. I mean, I speak to both, well, I speak to all of you privately, and I know I've said things to you, Matthew, privately, and you've said, I don't know how you knew that. Uh, I've had that experience with Jose, and I've had that experience with, with all of you guys uh, where my personal situation is concerned, where you knew things that, that I didn't know how you knew them. Um, well, I mean, I know how you knew them, but uh, there's no way in the natural you would have known them. But Let's just say it's not easy. Those conversations are never easy on either side. When you're saying something that is private about someone that they haven't shared with you, that's not easy to say. And when you're receiving, it's not easy either. So I don't. I, I bring that up because I don't want the listener to think that again that we're just you know shooting from the hip because that's really popular right now. Um, that's a good way for people to think that you're keeping it keeping it real. Um, by saying what you think. Um, but no, it's not easy to do that at times. No, it certainly is not. But, you know, everybody needs to think about this, that on the way to the cross, Christ took the time to stop and turn around. And he said, don't weep over me, daughters of Jerusalem. Sometimes you are required by the law 
to stop what you're doing and say what needs to be said. Amen. Amen. He had to rebuke his disciples for trying to stop him from saying what was going to happen to him. Because that wasn't what they wanted to hear. And I guarantee you, you walk into a church and say what we're saying right now, and you'll get rebuked. Well, the one thing I can say about that, ladies and gentlemen, is, is that many times the words of those who love you the most cut the sharpest. I love my daughter with all my heart. I love my wife with all my heart. But I don't lie to either one of them. And when it's wrong, I, I tell them it's wrong. Those aren't always easy conversations. And when my wife has that with me, it's not an easy conversation. But she's right. And she had that with me this week. Told me I was wrong on something, and I had to own up to it and say, you're right, I was, I'm wrong. Are you in, or are you out? You know, Christ has Amen. a sheepfold. <laughs> Christ has a sheepfold. Are you in it or are you out of it? It's your choice, right, Matthew? It is. He's not holding you there? No, you don't have to stay. Uh-uh. Well, doesn't he liken it to a smooth word? Give us a smooth word. Give us, give us a smooth word. Tell us what we want to hear. And right out of that pen, you'll slide. Yeah. All right. Genesis chapter 28, boys and girls. Oh. So All right, me, so I can start here, verse 10, because that will give us the context for this, or do you want me to read the whole chapter? Do what you think best. Okay. I'm going to give just a quick synopsis of, of what leads up to this event, and then I'm just going to read starting in verse 10. Is that okay with everybody? Yep. Yep. Okay. So everybody should know that Isaac had two sons, and uh, his two sons were, well, competing with each other, and Isaac had his favorite, and uh, his wife, Rebecca, had uh, her favorite, and it got to the point to where um, Jacob gets sent to Rebecca's brother uh, so that he can find a wife. And on the way back to Rebecca's family, uh, a very interesting event happens. And, uh, well, it ripples all throughout the scripture, but I'm going to start here in verse 10. Uh, Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. And he came to a certain place and stayed there that night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place to sleep. And he dreamed, and behold, there was a ladder set up on the earth, and the top of it reached to heaven. And behold, the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And behold, the Lord stood above it and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie I will give to you and your offspring. Your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread above, abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. Behold, I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land. For I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. 
Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! There is none other than the house of God. This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. Now I'm going to stop there, and we can talk about this particular stanza. AOD, you have any thoughts on what I just read? No, I'm good, brother. Jose, take a shot at it. Well, just, I mean, the obvious placement of of the ladder here uh, going up and down. Um, We know the events that take place in Revelation where the Lord knocks down this ladder. Uh, We know these stones that that are being talked about here, um, what God's talking about there. Jesus himself describes these stones in the Gospels. Um, and of course we know what that house of God is, that temple, his body that he's building, uh, with those stones. So really prophetic what's going on here. Really, really, really deep. Um, verse 14, of course, gives you the framework again of, of the dust on the earth and the, and the stars in heaven. He's, he's laying those two apart and of course what goes between those is that house those stones um and really a a very clear picture of what of how his kingdom is going to be set up so i mean i i when i finished out this chapter reading it i saw some really interesting things as well but i think that's that's what i want to share for right now on those on that on that stanza right there amen good stuff we can't Forget that, of course, in John uh, chapter 1, Christ said, uh, Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see the heavens opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So, you put these two together, you know who's at the top of the ladder and you know who's at the bottom of the ladder. Amen. That is the connection. This is literally described as the gate of heaven. And when you begin to put the Christ into that place right there and reflect on other places where you've read about gates and who's standing in the gate at different places and at different times, it, it takes on a whole different meaning. And um, Amen. Amen to that. You know, I... Oh, something... Go ahead, I'm sorry. Uh, I just wanted to point out here that I find it funny during this entire discourse that he keeps evading this and this comes up later in chapter 35 as well when this this journey is 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 talked about why is it that he keeps avoiding to call this place luz <laughs> yeah because that's what it is it's luz I mean, verse 19, you kind of never got to it. He called the name of that place Bethel. However, previously the name of that city had been Luz. You know, I wonder if we've ever found that city digging around in archaeology temps. <laughs> well, but, yeah. But it's funny how here in chapter 35, he beats around the bush. I mean, he does. He says it. 
but the avoiding of that is awful ominous, I believe. Amen. It's almost like you think you're one place, Thames. Oh, no, you're not. Maybe you, this entire discourse makes you think about that old saying that you can't see the forest for the trees. Funny you'd mention trees. <laughs> it is, huh? Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead, say what you're going to say. Uh, no, you, 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 um, that, that's, that's good right there. I, I was just going to say that, um, and this is something I learned from you. The Lord always seems to start with his promises, doesn't he? When he's talking, when he's talking with Abraham, when he's talking with Isaac, when he's talking with Jacob, um, when he's talking with Moses, doesn't he always seem to start with those promises? Yeah, it, it, but... In this instance, he says something that worries me, because originally the promise was that your descendants would become as of the stars of heaven, but here he only mentions one side of that equation, right. almost expecting you to know he was talking about what is to come with this seed. Now... Ladies and gentlemen, logic dictates that the only reason why he did this is because he was speaking of a time that would be quite terrible when the stars wouldn't be in heaven anymore. Maybe they're going to go someplace they're not supposed to be. I don't know. I could be wrong. Well, the other you guys are bringing up the names of this place. The other interesting thing is that word Bethel there in the Hebrew and the word Bethuel really only have one letter difference between them. Bethuel has the Vav, whereas Bethel has the Yod. So, really, I mean, investigating as to, as to you know, why God's doing that is going to give you another picture, as well as the, the Luz aspect of what God's saying here about this place, about his house. Well, this particular spelling of Bethel, as best I can tell, is only used two times in the Bible. Um, I believe it only occurs here in Genesis 28 and in Judges, uh, the first chapter. Uh, Matthew, correct me if I'm wrong, you're better with the Hebrew than I am, but those are the only two places I've seen it spelled this particular way. That would be correct. And when we get there, you'll, you'll see that, but I should probably go ahead and read this second stanza here, so people, I'm sure some of the listeners are saying, wait a second, you haven't mentioned that yet, and you're talking about it, so let me go ahead and read this. So early in the morning, Jacob took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on top of it, and he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. And then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God will be with me, and will keep me in this way that I go, and will give me bread to eat and clothing to wear, so that I come again to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone, which I have set up for a pillar, shall be God's house. And all that you give me, I will give a full tent to you. The Lord wants his part, right? That last verse there. That's right. I've always kind of... Yeah, go ahead, Tim. 
I've always seen these pillars and these stones as a, as a type and shadow of these horns that everyone loves to talk about. Yes, they Anybody do. Ever? Yes, they do like to talk about the horns. I'll agree with you there. Anybody ever else see any kind of similarity between these pillars and horns? I certainly do. I certainly do. And we need to remember that uh, what both the Greek and the Hebrew says about those jots and tittles. Because both the Greek and the Hebrew, of course, the, the, the Greek says iota, and then it says horn. And so does the Hebrew. That's exactly what Delich did. He followed it. It's horn. It's not tittle. He literally said in the Delich translation, says yod and horn. And in the Greek, it says iota and horn. And, well, you're kind of supposed to see that. Because he's trying to tell you something very important. Just like this place was Luz and it was Bethel. So, uh, yeah, by any stretch of the imagination, every time you talk about these pillars that were set up, well, just like the one that was set up whenever uh, the people that inherited the promised land didn't get to live in the promised land. Of course, they set up a pillar and said, well, you know, hey, we got kicked back on the other side of the Jordan. We're going to set up this pillar as a testament to remind us, yada, yada, yada. You know, you say, you know, the half-tribes of Ephraim and Manasseh, but Manasseh really was a half-tribe. They were on both sides of the Jordan. Yeah. So not only was Reuben, well, the listener needs to read it for themselves, I reckon. But this always comes into play. It always comes into play. And it is really significant that, you know, speaking how other people speak about the horn, well, they know very well that they're going to make covenants with these princes. And they're afforded great power and latitude of authority. So... People don't realize that this is setting right here in the scripture for us. I mean, yes, there is a bad little horn. Yes, there is. And yes, he's going to have strange authority. Book of Daniel goes into great detail that he has the authority to even, you know, supersede the host of heaven. That's, that's what it says. He casts them down. He orders them down Jacob's ladder, so to speak. So, yes, the... Elementary students will talk about the the horns quite a lot, but the bride. Yes, Jose. Go ahead. Go ahead and finish your thought, Matthew, and I'll jump in. But the bride thinks about a different horn. Jose. Yeah, I think when you mentioned that about the covenant, I mean that's exactly what what Jacob's saying here in the last stanza. That he's making a covenant with his Lord. He's saying that if God is is with me and keep me in this journey. And will give me bread to eat and clothes to put on so that I come into my father's house in safety. Then shall the Lord be my God. And this stone which I have set up as a pillar shall be God's house. And of all that thou shalt give me while I give the tenth unto thee. So he's making a promise here to the Lord. Um, now, when I read that verse 20, it paralleled neatly with what 
uh, me and my son are reading right now, we're, we're going to the book of Isaiah and, and going back and forth between Revelation and Isaiah. And when we come to, to Isaiah chapter 4, we, we hear almost these same words and, and, of course, very similar words in the Hebrew. But just I'll just read the first verse. Um, it says, In that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying we will eat our own bread and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by thy name to take away our reproach. And so where, where this study led me and my son was to the, this course, Tams, you mentioned over and over how these seven women refer to the seven churches um, in Revelation, how it refers to the seven spirits. But you can see it quite clearly when you go to the seven churches, what does the Lord do? He mentions their good deeds, and then he, he, he um, rebukes them on certain things. And so what the parallel that we saw was those good deeds is that bread, that fruit that we, that we produce, that we show. Show forth those around us, show forth to the Lord. This is what we produced. This is, um, for all intents and purposes, demonstrating that we're a good tree with good fruit. And whereas those, that apparel, that linen, those garments that you wear, are really a demonstration of those sins that you have against you, those marks you have against you, those blemishes. And of course, there's only one who can remove those blemishes, and that's, that's the Lord. So when I read that in Genesis 28, um, that, that's, that's immediately where it took me. Well, it would have to take you there because that's the most basest and elementary of teachings as far as the scripture goes because what is the very first thing that happened when Adam and Eve figured out they sinned? They were naked. That's right. They were naked. That's right. So, uh, this this goes back to elementary teaching. If, If you don't know, well, my goodness, this is in the first how many verses of the Bible. This is how it all started. And of course, the end of them figuring out they were naked, of course, was them being, well, kicked out of the garden, descending, winding up at the bottom of the ladder instead of the top of the ladder. It was very clear that God said that in the cool of the day, he would come down and have a chit-chat with them. Correct, gentlemen? That, that's what he said? Amen. Amen. Well, that means they had to be one place. They had to have been at the top of the ladder. I mean, here in this chapter, the Lord makes himself pretty clear. The Father, he's at the top of the ladder. And of course, like I mentioned there in the first chapter of John, it makes it very plain that Christ said, I'm the bottom of the ladder. So, we should all instinctively know this. This should be embedded in the back of our brains. This should be subconscious. We should realize that, hey, eat only the fruit you're supposed to, Bear only the fruit that you're supposed to. And you better stop and make sure your garments are clean. I mean, that's that's what this message is. Amen. Yeah, and, and Jacob makes it pretty clear where, where, that, where that bread, where that fruit, and those garments come from, Matthew. He says it comes from the Lord. Well, and the Christ was obviously thinking about that there in Matthew, the the sixth chapter. He, <laughs> I find it funny that, that Matthew, you mentioned the lilies of the field, and he literally uh, talks about those lilies right there in Matthew, the sixth, the sixth chapter. He's, 
talks about uh, why do you worry about clothes? Consider the lilies of the field. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that Solomon in all of his glory was not adorned like one of these. And he's referring back to this promise Well, that was I, struck between <laughs> Jacob and... <laughs> even Go ahead, I'm sorry. You know, even more importantly, who does he make reference as far as the food is concerned in that self-same passage? The birds. Amen. Okay, so you're supposed to know, and of course everybody knows this. We, I mean, there's literally infinite number of commentaries that, of course, the angels are always called the birds of God. And that's exactly what was going up and down Jacob's ladder. Right. So... I mean, like I, yeah, <laughs> that's why I mentioned it. It should have been exactly. embedded in everybody's subconscious that, yeah, the lilies of the field, yeah, he's promised to clothe me. And he also mentioned something about food there. Who was going to eat and didn't have to worry? That's right, the birds. Yet here in this passage, he says something very strange. He does not mention the stars of God. I'm sure he didn't forget, but that's not what he said here. That's, that's not what he said. He mentioned only the dust. He didn't mention the stars at all. Knowing that subconsciously, if you had written his word upon your heart, that would trigger natural responses. It would trigger natural reflexes in the sheep. But I could be wrong. No, you're right, and and just as we started off this episode, uh, there in Matthew, the sixth chapter, he makes it abundantly clear that you're not supposed to be worried about your life. He he makes a distinction between uh, the Lord's children and the Gentiles that are seeking after those things, and he makes it quite clear that the Heavenly Father knows what it is that you need, and he will provide those things that you need. And that tomorrow is going to take care of tomorrow. Because that was that was memorialized here, right here in this very section, in this agreement that Jacob struck with the Lord's God. Amen. Now I want to keep going with this, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna reiterate what, what a couple things. So in, in verse 17 he says he was afraid and said, how awesome is this place? There is no other. This is none other than the house of God and is a gate of heaven. That's literally what he says. Verse 19, he called the name of that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. Now, the next time that that is specifically mentioned is in Judges uh, verse 26. And this is going to be important because we'll, we'll continue to, to, to whittle away at this thing. But I'm going to read this. If, are you guys okay with me going over here, or am I going too quick to come over here? Yeah, that's fine, Tim, but you want to rename that chapter again? Um, Judges, the first chapter. Okay. And Matthew, uh, give me some guidance here. Is it okay for me to just start with verse 22 and, and read that stanza, or do I need to give more of that? Just read the stanza, Tims. Okay. The house of Joseph also went up against Bethel, and the Lord was with them. And the house of Joseph scouted out Bethel. Now the name of that city was formerly Luz. 
And the spies saw a man coming out of the city, and they said to him, Please show us the way into the city, and we will deal kindly with you. And he showed them the way into the city, and they struck the city with the edge of the sword. But they let the man and all his family go. And the man went to the land of the Hittites and built a city and called its name Luz. That is the name to this day. An extenuation of the promise. The gatekeeper, huh? <laughs> you know, I find it funny that they couldn't find the city gate. They had to ask Luz how to how to get into the city. Did you find that kind of strange, Tim? Yeah. I mean, uh, when was the last time that you went to a major city and couldn't find your way into it? That's right. One thing Especially sure. in that time. I mean, to get into, I mean, the whole purpose of a city was for commerce, right? Isn't that the whole idea That's right. of, of, of a big city is that we're going to have commerce here and laws here and, and security? How would you have all of that happening and not, ha- not know how to get in or out? That's right. The whole purpose that a city facilitates is that of exchange. Right. That's the whole purpose it serves. So, here we have a serious shot across the bow to, of course, the Jews. Don't you understand, ladies and gentlemen, what the rabbis plainly see here? Oh, they plainly see something. That not only did it take a Gentile to get them into the city, it's at his very city that God decided to place Jacob's ladder. (laughs) Boy, if you're an Orthodox Jew... That'll make you gnash your che- teeth, if anything will. Yeah, it's sort of like reading cedars from Lebanon. Uh, that used to make me mad. Why do they got to come from Lebanon? Why can't they come from... You know, that, that, used, to, that used to bug me. <laughs> it used to make me mad. Um, <laughs> yep. That's, that's, that's... Yeah, you're saying, the, you're saying the same type of thing there, Matthew. That's right, the same type of thing. You know... That structure, the gate, the ladder, oh my goodness. It's not made with who you want it to be. We all have this longing to be the master race, don't we? Unfortunately. But God's going to sort that all out himself, and he's going to do so with the promise. Amen. Amen. How about that word spies? That's an interesting word there. I mean, it's enough to say that this whole incident with the spies is reminiscent of Joshua and the taking of Jericho. But that word spies, it means a whole lot more than people think it does. (laughs) Yes, it does. Yes, it does. Why don't you tell us about all that? Well, if I said merchant, would that be a connotation that you would be thinking of when you're thinking of spies? I think that would be a little difficult changeover for the mind, for most people, yeah. I think that would be a little difficult change there. But I can see how, I personally can see how that would work. Jose, AOD, any, any thoughts on that? Well, it all it all depends what you were going in there to uh, to look at, right? Um, if you're if you're on a wartime footing, you're spying, you're 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 
obviously looking for certain things. Um, if you're a different type of spy, well, well, you're looking for ways that you can gain advantage. And yeah, I could see how that could apply to a financial context, a merchant context. Who did who did the who did the Christ kick out of the temple? All the merchants. All the merchants. <laughs> When, when when Joseph confronted his brothers, what did he accuse them of being? Ooh, I, try, right. I think that was uncalled for. <laughs> so there were spies. Yeah. I mean, now, that's kind of an interesting thought, right? Why would he have said that? And then when you actually begin to, you know deconstruct this you can you can you can begin to understand the importance of this word um and we've talked about this a little bit before but remember the spies were initially sent into the land by joshua to scope it out and and tell the people about what was going to be in the land and yet those 12 spies only two of them came back with something now the fruit of the spirit Correct me if I'm wrong. There's 12 fruits of the Spirit. Is that right? Why do I always have to answer? <laughs> well, I, I'm. am I correct or am I wrong saying that? Anybody? I'm sure you could come up with 12, Tim. I mean, that's... There, there's more than enough lists uh, that, that God has that we could, we could find 12 there. Well, I, I bring this up because, I mean, literally, I mean, when someone asks you what heaven's going to be like, um, you should be expecting heaven to be full of the fruit of the Spirit. And yet, those spies, only two of them came back with anything. Which, again, we talked about horns earlier, 12 minus 2 is 10. Divided kingdom. Wasn't it Judah? And Benjamin, who stayed, and everyone else left. And don't we see that in the book of Revelation as well? Sure do. So this spies has meaning on three or four different levels that I can think of just off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Hey, Amen. It does. Am I, am I losing people here with this, or is this, am I sounding little bit off or is this making sense what I'm saying oh you're making perfect sense to me oh yeah you sound good man <laughs> oh yeah okay um well you know what Tams let's just say this do you do you realize that this exact spelling for spies you're you're talking about you do realize that that's in the Delich New Testament, Revelation chapter 12, verse 17, for the rest of her children. Right. <laughs> I, I, I wasn't going to see that, but you kinda, I was going to say, literally, the changers getting kicked out. Because for you to trade, you've got to have an equal exchange, or you've got to have an exchange there, right? Mm-hmm. You must have a barter in place. Right. So it's not just princes getting kicked out of the house, it's also the rest of the children. And 
Revelation chapter 14 details to you what's going to happen to those children because there it is again, that exact form, that exact word. Here's the perseverance of the saints who keep the commandments of God and their faith in Jesus. Uh-huh. I'm well aware of what it says. <laughs> so, you know, these, these spies are coming out to be very important, but, uh, well, like loves. His name wound up standing long after he was dead and gone. Amen? Amen. Amen. So we can see this. And of course, you're supposed to know that where it's mentioned... Okay, here, let me... The reference that it's in in Revelation chapter 12, ladies and gentlemen, it says the same thing. It just says it a different way. But there in the Hebrew it says, So the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her children who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus Christ. So you realize who he's talking about. It's reworded differently in chapter 14 because, oh, now they've seemed to have figured things out. Now they've sorted out in their mind the whopping big difference between, well, a spy and a merchant. <laughs> Amen, Tim's? Yeah, they've 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 had that worked out. They wish that will do that to you. <laughs> it, it will certainly do that. By this time, they've done worked out their salvation. Amen. Amen. And I really shouldn't laugh about that because oh no, it, it's it's no laughing matter. That's for it's sure. no laughing matter. Because once this threshold is crossed, what makes you think you can be the bride? I mean, you've made choices, and no doubt about it. The Bible is very clear on the reward they will get, but it's not marriage. Amen. Yes, it is a high honor to rule and reign with Christ for his millennial reign. I'm not saying that's not an honor at all. I, I didn't say that, nor did I imply it. And, well, yes, Jose. Well, just hearing Tim's, you know, bring that to light, what that word is there in Revelation chapter 12, you know, puts my mind thinking, what exactly is this merchandise that they're dealing in? And and that brought me to, to Acts chapter 8. And I'm just going to read this stanza from verse 14 to, to 24. Now when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have no part or portion in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Therefore repent of this wickedness of yours and pray the Lord that, if possible, the intention of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bondage of iniquity. But Simon answered and said, Pray to the Lord for me yourselves, so that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. So you try to deal that Holy Spirit, you try to be immersed of that. Exactly what Matthew and Tim have been describing, that's, that's going to be the end of the matter. 
Well, this is what happens. I mean, let's go back to that upper room. The only thing present in that upper room, in that upper room, was those that had been drawn there by the Spirit. And sure enough, just like Matthew, your your wife's garden, every year you you clear it out of weeds, but no sooner do you get done doing that that you got to do it again. And that's literally what, what you see uh, happening here with, with, with Simon. Um, we just got done clearing out this thing. Um, we just set everything right. Now, Ananias and Sapphira have done their thing. Um, the seven spirits have been chosen. That happened there in, in Acts, the sixth chapter. Um, now we're taking care of the widow. We're taking care of the orphans. We're making sure that people are are being fed, and, and we have the martyrs. Mm-hmm. Um, well, we, and then what do we do? Lord have mercy, what do we do? You can I see this over and over, Tim, right? I mean... Yeah, I mean, Lord. coming out of Egypt, what was the what was the first thing that these knuckleheads did when the Lord left? When when they thought that the Lord had left them, or Moses had left them up on that mountaintop after forty, what did they do? Right, they got all their money, right? And this will be your God, and we're going to start this shindig off right. We're gonna we're gonna we're gonna celebrate. And coming back into the camp, what was Moses hearing? He wasn't sure if it was the sound, and it uses it says the sound of war. Yeah, that is exactly what he was hearing, ladies and gentlemen. That's exactly what he was hearing. And when we get into Second Samuel the nineteenth chapter, you'll see that quite clearly. But that's literally that is not a mistake. That is exactly what Moses heard, because as soon as all of that crap gets cleared out, it's coming right back again. That's why you see him released after a thousand years, and what does he do? He goes right back to doing what he did. It's amazing how the ground is only ever fertile for weeds. Amen. The fruits you got to work for. Amen. But the weeds, oh, it's always fertile ground for weeds. Doesn't matter how many times you pull them up, go back out the next day, there they'll be. Wasn't that the uh, curse coming, uh, coming, uh, getting kicked out of the Garden of Eden? Wasn't that the curse by the sweat of your brow? Yep, that was a promise he did keep. Oh, he literally kept it. What was he doing in the Garden of Gethsemane? By the sweat and blood of his brow. And doesn't he tell us in the New Testament you have not resisted up to the point of that very thing happening? He certainly did. And by the way, um, we did just talk about the house of Joseph. The house of Joseph, Matthew mentioned earlier, um, this is not a scripted show, ladies and gentlemen, but he did talk about Manasseh. He did talk about the half-tribe. So we just keep going around in circles. It's a little bit of that, that isochronal eschatology, right, Matthew? The Lord repeats himself over and over. Amen. Every time I turn around, he's smacking me in the head again. And you know what? As long as he continues to smack, I'm going to feel a little bit better. 
because the when he stops smacking, that's that moment that he promised you there in verse 15. Well, Thames, this is the end of the matter, that the Lord will only discipline those who are sons. Amen. That That's it. Yay. <laughs> God wins, huh, John? Amen. <laughs> I'll never forget being 20 years old and coming home and my father being upset with me and visibly upset and him not saying a word. And that was the worst moment in my life up to that moment. Oh, yeah, that um, was psychological warfare. That was the absolute lowest of the low. Because I knew he, at that point he was done with me. And, I mean, I, you know, my hero to not have anything to do with me on that level, that just, that completely changed everything. Yeah, yeah you, you think that's scary, Tim. Try, try coming home and, and having your wife not speak to you. Uh, that. <laughs> Yeah, those those bowels get loosened very quickly when you, when that happens because you're, you're you're scrabbling trying to figure out what did I do what could I, how can I make it right you're trying to get any kind of toehold to uh, to save yourself from from sliding off you know uh, it is a very scary feeling um, at the very least if uh, you're reproached you can make corrections but if you're not like you said they're just done with you that's that's a very scary empty feeling. Yeah, that that that's the feeling of no hope. Right. That's the feeling. Yeah, you yeah. don't have any hope. Right. In that moment, you're not concerned about the Twitter stock price. You're not concerned about the job. You're 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 concerned about that those things that can't be replaced. Which is where you were supposed to be from the beginning. And by the way. That moment is happening every single moment of every single day with his children. And when we get to Second Samuel 19, you're going to see how, well, you'll get a little picture of how God himself feels about it. Amen? Amen. 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 Amen indeed. That's the place I see myself going next, but... Do you guys, uh, AOD, you're awful quiet. Any, any, where, where do you guys want to go next? It's completely up to you. It is well with my soul, one way or the other. I hope I didn't offend you by saying that, but it is the truth. Well, let's, let's go ahead and tackle this uh, a little bit. Um, I'm going to go over here to Second Samuel, the 19th chapter. And I'm going to read this, uh, these first eight verses and um, tie this in a little bit. Now, this is uh, the events leading up to this exchange is Absalom, uh, the son of David, had uh, decided that he wanted to be king. And David actually leaves the city and comes back after something terrible happens to his son. And there's an exchange between David and his servant about this, and there's some interesting uh, words that are used that you'll see as I read this. So Second Samuel, the 19th chapter, 
It was told Joab, Behold, the king is weeping and mourning for Absalom. So the victory that today was turned into mourning for all the people, for the people heard that today the king is grieving for his son. And the people stole into the city that day, as people steal in who are ashamed when they flee in battle. The king covered his face, and the king cried with a loud voice, O my son Absalom, O Absalom, my son, my son. Then Joab came into the house of the king and said, You have today covered with shame the faces of all your servants, who have this day saved your life and the lives of your sons and your daughters and the lives of your wives and your concubines, because you love those who hate you and hate those who love you. For you have made it clear today that commanders and servants are nothing to you today. I know that if Absalom were alive and all of us were dead today, then you would be pleased. Now therefore arise, go out, and speak kindly to your servants, for I swear by the Lord, if you do not go, not a man will stay with you this night. And this will be worse for you than all the evil that has come upon you from the, your youth until now. And the king arose and took his seat in the gate, and the people were all told, Behold, the king is sitting in the gate. And all the people came before the king. Lot there, huh? Yeah, that's a whopper right there. Yeah, there's there's a plateful right there. Kind of hard to swallow. It is. Put into human terms, of course, because Joab was speaking the truth. Well, you've got a solemn assembly because he makes it quite plain that all the people came before the king. You have the people sneaking back into the city like those who were ashamed when they flee from battle. You have the king weeping over his son. And then you have the king go and take his position at the gate. There's a lot here. Even though that's not where he wanted to be. No. That's not where he wanted to be. By the way, who is the heir to that throne anyway? Solomon. <laughs> oh no, wasn't Solomon. I don't know who told you that. Solomon was anointed for that job, but he wasn't the heir. He wasn't the eldest son. Oh no, he wasn't. Oh, amen, amen. But you're right, one was anointed in his place. Solomon got it. Solomon was anointed for it, and that's what stood. That's the decision that stood. One way or the other, God got what he wanted. Amen. It just so happened that that happened the hard way for, well, David. Well, it, it, it really brings to mind what he said about Saul. He says, it's not for me to to cut down Saul. If the Lord wants to do it, he's going to do it, and, and, and you know he'll take care of it on his terms. And, and he's saying the exact same thing about his son Absalom here. It's not for, it's not for, for David to do that thing. But like you said, Matthew, whatever the Lord wants, he's going he's gonna to accomplish that one way or the other. And the people are so remnant of what is to come during this time. I mean, did you not hear what Joab said? Uh, they should have been celebrating victory, boys and girls. But that's not what they did. They were wise enough to sneak into the city. They knew better than put a smile on their face and get their tambourines out. Even though that is what was afforded to them. They won. They won at great cost. But they had the sense enough to know 
they better steal into the city, even is as if they had been defeated in battle. Which is kind of what the Lord warns us about what is to come. Right? Amen. I mean, there ain't not you can do to a child of God except promote him. Ain't nothing you can do to him. <laughs> I mean, but yet during this time, he makes himself perfectly clear. Be as innocent as doves and shrewd as snakes. And they will come for you. Well, implicit in here is the king is separate from the people. Very until separate. Until he composes, yeah. Until, until he decides to, right? Amen. He composes himself and takes his position at the gate, but prior to that, he is not with the people. Now, can I ask you a very stupid question, my friend? Who is the Lord of Hosts in this situation? <laughs> Uh-oh, everybody's getting mad at me now. Who is the general over the armies, boys and girls? Who is the Lord of Hosts? Joab. Joab. And the king acting like he had just been slain. <laughs> it wasn't until the Lord of Hosts told him, hey, get yourself in check and get down there and set in the gate. Now, riddle me this. What does the book of Revelation say that Christ looks like right now? Right now as we lamb. speak. Like a lamb slain. That's right. So, you, you realize... You realize that poor David had a hard row to hoe that day. But he had to. Just like we're going to have to. Because the will of God is a force that is not reckoned with. It's just the way it is. And everything had to play out that day so you would know. You would know why the father's at the top of the ladder and the son's at the bottom of the ladder. You'd be able to understand why. The crazy things are said. I mean, Jacob knew exactly what to say. If you promise to feed me and clothe me, God said, yep, yeah, I will do those things until. Right? I mean, that, that's what he said. But whether we like it or not, these poor people are exactly where we're going. Because we're going to go to Matthew 24. Just like he said. Just like he said, we're, we're, we're going there. And when we go there, we better steal into the city. Amen. Well, I find it interesting that, again, I mean, Jacob asked for, what did he ask for? He asked for food and clothing. I mean, this is a grown man in a time when men certainly knew how to hunt. And if you knew how to hunt, you, you, you could certainly clothe yourself. Mm-hmm. So, obviously, we're not talking about this in the manner in which people, I mean, there's more than one level of interpretation for this. That clothing is, just as Matthew said earlier, it's, it's, it's literally the nakedness because you, your light has gone out. God himself has said, what about the deeds done in darkness? They'll be revealed. And it's not going to be too pretty when they do. So this is all in reference to how you make your, how you prepare your garments. 
I mean, well, I think I've said enough. I probably upset quite a lot of people just bringing up the simple fact that in this instance, Joab represented God the Father, and David, of course, represented God the Son. I'm sorry about that. But Joab was the commander of the host. And yes, Absalom should have been king. Had he not already proven his zeal concerning his sister? Amen. And where had he spent his time? Amen. Talking to the people. That's right. Judging the people. At the gate. Yep. Amen. I mean, we have that all the time, don't we? I mean, people get upset. That's not fair. Well, Tim's the location of fair is not exactly what everybody thinks it's at. Right. <laughs> I mean, Jacob himself said that the ladder wasn't in his head. He said it was on... Well, he said it was on the rock. So anyway, uh, closing thoughts, everybody. Well, just for myself, it's it's to just be a wake-up call, a, a, a sobering of what, what God's actually saying in Genesis 28 and, and the way it ties exactly to when our Lord was being led to the cross. And really just preparing ourselves, um, edifying ourselves with His Word, getting ready to catch those who aren't prepared and who's, who are going to have their faith rocked when things don't work out the way they imagined they would. Um, that That's really what I'm taking away from this. Um, just that one simple verse that Tim brought up in Genesis 28, verse 15. Very important, what, what God's saying there. John, any, any closing thoughts? Sure. Sure, can you hear me? Yep, go ahead. Oh, sweet. Yeah, I was trying to look up uh, Micah 6.8. <laughs> That was my closing thought. Well, you got it? My computer's slow, man. <laughs> I'll, I'll jump over there for you. Thanks. Uh, <clears throat> Geneva, if you got it. All right, I can do that. He has showed thee, O man, what is good, and what the Lord requireth of thee, surely to do justly and to love mercy, and to humble thyself, and walk with thy God. Amen. Amen. Nah, nah. <laughs> Hallelujah. Amen. <laughs> John, a, a man of few words, but when he says something, Matthew, he tells it, right? <laughs> amen. That's, that's, hallelujah, amen. Uh, yes. It, may it be as you have said. Oh, Amen. Well, right there, what what uh, John literally gave you was the measurements of the cubit. And since we were talking about fair, a cubit is unique to each and every single one of us. That's why a widow's mite is giving more than what all those rich people gave. That's right. And if you're not... Every single word that 
that appears in this text is therefore reason. And when you begin to meditate on this word, it changes you. And, and what we should be doing is building our faith because this time is going to come when, as Matthew said, no good deed can be done. And if you don't have that light inside yourself, if you don't have that faith inside yourself, you're not going to be able to get to your hinds feet to get to where it is that you're supposed to go. Yeah. Now, a year ago, go ahead, I'm sorry. I'm just saying, yeah, but don't you know any seamstresses, ladies and gentlemen? Everybody knows that the only way you can prepare your gown is for the seamstress to measure your stride between heel to heel. You see, because that's how big the skirt portion of the of the gown has to be because if not of course you won't be able to make your full stride just so you know amen amen um it, it very much is an interactive process and i get my strength from my brothers and my brothers get their strength from me and we try to strengthen all of you through the word that we share and in preparing, um, it strengthens us, and we covet those prayers. And this time is coming. I mean, we told you a year ago about what was happening in the financial markets. A year later, I am sad to say that the Lord is going to separate himself for you for a time. And you need to get ready. You need to prepare for that. Amen. Amen, Temps. Uh, very important that, that we brought this show here today. Very important that this was was brought up for everybody. Um, Matthew, any closing thoughts before we wrap this up? Yeah. I'll read the last portion of the verse before the verse that John wanted us to read. Shall I present my firstborn for my rebellious acts? the fruit of my body for the sin of my soul? Micah, chapter 6, verse 7. Amen. Amen, Matthew. Once again, the Lord making it clear what the stakes are. So, if no one has anything else, um, Tim, John, anything else before we wrap up? Nope. Well, I just want to say that... Uh, I need to get back to what I told people I was going to do eight, nine months ago when I said I was going to start going through Joseph and his brothers and showing the isochronalism of that. Um, so pay attention to the portico because um, those shows will be coming. The only thing i got to say is you better hurry up, Thames. Until next time, ladies and gentlemen, as far as I'm concerned, God bless, Godspeed. Jose? Amen. Um, John, Tim, do you want to say your goodbyes real quick? God bless everybody. John? Sure, Godspeed. Amen. Thank you, everyone, for joining us. We hope this show has been edifying. Um, please, please keep your brothers in prayer. Not only us, but those out there that lost sheep, like Matthew said, you better hurry up. God bless everyone, and thank you for joining us. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. 
This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.